Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen, amen. Good morning, Hope Church family. Whether you are a guest or you are a part of the Hope Church family, glad you are here. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. And as you do, I want to ask you a question I want you to think about for your own life. Here's the question. Think about a time when you were truly desperate. When have you been truly desperate? I'm talking helpless. You had no idea what you were going to do kind of desperate. I will start with a little bit of a lighthearted example for myself. My wife and I got married very, very young. In the spirit of Father's Day, I will tell the story of when I became a father We were 22 years old. Three months after we were married, we became pregnant. And uh, just to give you a little context, I was born as the baby of my family. Any, Any youngest babies of the family in the room? Yes, okay. My wife is the oldest in her family. That creates some fun dynamics, by the way. The oldest in the family marries the youngest in the family. So I'm the baby of my family. I didn't have any younger brothers and sisters until my dad got remarried later in life. And I do have a little brother. But for most of my life, I was the baby. I didn't have any little cousins or or friends that had babies. So suffice to say, I might have held one or two babies in my entire life before God and his sovereignty decided to give me one to take care of. So October 6, 2009, we go to have, we go, my wife goes to have our son Bryce. And it's this epic moment. And I can't believe I'm going to be a father. And then I realized I am going to be a father And I am a child. I'm going to show you one of the most awkward pictures I have in my library. Right there, there's little Scott with hair. Like, I don't know if you can tell the awkwardness, but I'm like, what do I do? There's Bryce, and I, I love Bryce. He's in the service. But, like, they say the babies are so cute, but I was like, is this for real? Buddy, I love you. But I was like, this is real life? Like, and then I was like, they're leaving us with this baby. Like, are they crazy? Like, I remember, I told my wife, we got in my little Ford Focus, and two days, three days later, to drive away, and and I was just talking to Bryce is now in Hope Students, and his small group leader, Justin and Brandy, they just had a baby, their first baby. And I said, wasn't it crazy when they actually let you leave the hospital with this thing? (laughs) Like, do they know, this is like, do they know what they're doing? We drove away, and it's like, okay, God, how do I, this right here is a picture of desperation. It may look like I'm smiling, but I'm thinking, what am I going to do? We've all been desperate. Maybe that's a lighthearted example, but for you, think of a time when you really felt like, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. I know right now in our church, several families who are walking through real desperate situations, a diagnosis they did not expect to get, financial pressures with everything going on in our economy, things relationally. There is a sense of desperation and helplessness that I know is plaguing a lot of people in our church. 
Some of you are here as a testimony that through the desperation, God brings triumph. Like in your lowest lows, God met you in a spot, and now you're on the other side of it, realizing the triumph that happens out of desperation. But we know what it's like, some of us, to be desperate. Why do I bring that up? We are going to finish Mark chapter 1. We have 15 more chapters to go, ladies and gentlemen. We finished Mark chapter 1 today, and we are going to read a story of a desperate man. A desperate man who goes to the only place he knows to go for help. Before we jump into the text, maybe you felt that sense of desperation, but maybe you're not all the way there quite yet, and you don't really understand why this matters for your life. I want to, as always, give us a few reasons to lean in today and why I think this is really important. Here's the first one. In our culture, there is a counterfeit desperation that has hindered our ability to recognize true need. What do I mean by that? Need has become a junk drawer word, like love, right? I say I love In-N-Out Burger, and I love my family. Obviously, I do not mean the same kind of love, but I use the term love. Need has become that. What do you mean? I say I need water to survive. That's true. I need food to survive, and I really need that new iPhone, <laughs> We say the same word, but we don't mean the same thing. And so we have this, this counterfeit desperation that we say we need everything. I told my wife a couple years ago, I said, babe, I need a truck. Like, I grew up with trucks, not that it makes you more of a man or whatever. My first vehicle was a truck, and I just wanted a truck. And to give you some context, I was driving a, no shade, by the way, if you drive this, I was driving a little Toyota Yaris. Okay? If you've never seen a Toyota Yaris, it is the definition of a clown car. It could fit, like, right here. So I told my wife, I, I need a truck. She was like, you don't need a truck. We have this counterfeit need where we say we need everything. We've lost the idea of true need, which leads to the next statement I want to give us to lean into. Need is no longer associated with our desperation. More often than not, need is associated with our desires. I don't really need it. I just really want it. And want and need have become synonymous. So when we talk about desperation, we got a bunch of stuff going on in our minds that makes us distracted and confused on what we really mean. And this has crept into the church. Here's our last statement I want to lean into as followers of Jesus. This is deep. We'll unpack it. Our access to excess has distracted us from our desperation for Jesus. What do I mean? We come here every week. If you come to Hope Church, welcome if you're new. We are going to open the word of God and constantly be drawing your attention to the fact that you need Jesus. You are desperate for Jesus. The problem is you don't know what need is in our lives because we have so much stuff to pacify that need that that's confusing and distracting for us when we tell you you need Jesus. Because we have everything we need. Look at my bank account. Look at my house. Look at my family. Look at my friends. Need? I'm living my best life. We come to church and we hear about our desperation for Jesus, and sometimes we can get caught up in seeing true need. So we're going to look today at a story. As we finish up Mark chapter 1, we're going to see today that desperation can be the very thing that leads us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, if we let it. So Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, here's what our text says for today. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. 
moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. What I want us to see in these last five verses of Mark chapter one, I want us to see four ways through this story that we want us to draw attention to our desperation. Four things I want us to see, and here's the first one. A desperate disease. Says there in verse 40, and a leper came to him. Now, I don't know if you are a student of the Bible. If you are a student of the Bible, this word leprosy or leper will make sense to you. But for a lot of you, maybe leprosy is not something that's a part of your vocabulary. And so we need to understand this man's desperate disease. Leprosy, praise God, is not something we see in the United States at all anymore. But around the world, there are still cases of leprosy. And it's this terrible skin disease that completely consumes one's body and life. In fact, they were so contagious that they actually were ostracized from normal community to where even their social life and their family became nothing to them because of this skin disease. The process of leprosy would actually take eight to nine years, and it would start very small. You would start with just some, some overall weariness, and then some small white spots would appear on one's skin. That would eventually, and this gets pretty graphic, but we need to paint this picture, it would eventually give way to big sores filled with pus. And so lepers, to try to hide their pus-filled sores, would cover their, their body with scraps and, and dirty rags to try to not look as grotesque as they did. So they eventually, because it was such a, a contagious disease, they would actually put these lepers out in their own little colonies, completely cut off from the world. And then the, 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 the soreness would get so bad that parts of their body would actually become numb. Historians tell us that parts of their body would be so numb that while they were sleeping, wild animals would come and chew on parts of their body and they couldn't even feel it. Desperate. To make matters even worse, you were cut off from your family and your friends and your community. And to make matters even worse, to make sure nobody else got this desperate disease, they made you announce to the world when you were coming near by calling yourself unclean. So as lepers made their way into the market or made their way into the community to, to buy things or whatever they had to do, they would have to tell the world, unclean. Freak show coming your way. Everybody move. And praise God, in our culture, in the last several years, we've been talking a lot more about mental health. Imagine the mental health issues people with leprosy had. The thing that plagued their life, that consumed their thinking and their lives, they constantly had to scream out loud for everyone to hear. Think about your own life. The things that you wrestle with. The things that you... That, that seem to consume your mind, the insecurities, the doubts, the fears, the lust, the anger. Imagine everywhere you went, you had to put that on blast for everyone to hear what was going on inside your mind. This was a desperate situation. So this man in this story does the only thing he knows to do, and he goes to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus, what I want to call, with what I want to call a ridiculous request. Look at verse 40, the end of it. 
A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, for those of us who have read who read the Bible a lot, we, we've kind of read it with a sterilized view. Like, oh, yeah, a leper came, and he asked Jesus to heal him. But you have to understand, this is crazy. What is happening in this story is a ridiculous request. You're a leper. You don't even deserve to be in our presence. Go back to where you belong. But this leper comes to Jesus with this ridiculous request. Like, lepers and cleanliness are oxymorons. They don't belong in the same sentence. And yet this leper falls at Jesus' feet. And I love this because it doesn't say in this text that the first thing he said was, unclean. He doesn't do what he is supposed to do by the Jewish law. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't think, I don't want to bother Jesus. I mean, this is the son of God. He's got so much stuff going on. There's thousands of people following him. I don't want to bother Jesus. We don't see that in our text at all. We don't see in our text that this man thought he was too broken to come before Jesus. He was completely desperate and did the only thing he knew to do. And he fell at Jesus' feet. As we read this text today, I want to draw your attention to what you may be asking of the Lord. What are the things right now? Make ridiculous requests that you have in your heart and your mind that you would think, man, I don't want to bother God with these little things. Or I don't want to bother God with these big things because I don't feel like I'm worthy to be in his presence. How many of you today would be looking at the leper and saying, man, I kind of feel like him. This guy had every reason in the world not to come to Jesus with his request, but he did. He didn't, he could have given up hope on his healing. We have no idea how long this man was a leper. It could be a few years. It could be several decades. And he could have very easily been completely hopeless that he would ever be healed. I mean, think about it. You're cut off from society. You have no reason to hope that you will ever not be a leper. And yet this man comes with a ridiculous request. And as I was preparing this week, all my heart was just thinking through people in our church that have every reason right now to give up hope on whatever it is you've been asking God for for maybe years. Maybe some of you have been asking the Lord, God, would you bring back my prodigal child, my son or daughter that has ran away from the faith? And you've been, you've been begging God to intervene and do something. And if you would be honest today, you would say, man, I've kind of lost hope that he will. Some of us, some of you wrestling with infertility or a health situation that you have constantly been saying, Lord, if you will, you can do this. And if you're honest today, you've kind of lost hope. I hope today in our story, you are encouraged to bring your ridiculous requests back to God, no matter what they are. Now, I want to call a timeout and step away from the text because this isn't in our text for today. But I want to ask a question in the room today that I think some people may be asking because it's the question that I asked. What happens when God doesn't answer your requests? We can have hard conversations in church. What happens when you are crying out to God and you're saying, I, I think you can do this, I know you can do this, and you haven't seen that come to fruition? Notice he says here, if you will, you can. Another way to say that is you can but will you? The issue is not God's ability. This leper knows he can. And sometimes in his sovereignty, he chooses to intervene, and sometimes he doesn't. 
We understand for all the, the miracles and healings we see in the New Testament from Jesus, there were hundreds, if not thousands of people that didn't get healed. So the question is on the table. What happens when God doesn't immediately answer your prayers in the way you think he should? What today are you asking the Lord? The leper knew he could, but he wasn't sure if he would. I want to invite you into my family on this Father's Day, what we've been walking through. Many of you know our family makeup, but I have four amazing children. I love my kids. Our last child, Aria, we adopted five years ago out of the foster care system here in Las Vegas. And people see that and they say, wow, what a beautiful story. And listen, there's been some beautiful, amazing things about that. But let me just tell you, adoption is hard. Adoption in and of itself, the reason, it, uh, think about this, the reason adoption exists is because of the brokenness and sin in our world. If brokenness and sin didn't exist, adoption wouldn't exist. Everyone would be with their birth parents. So we entered into this thing a little naively five years ago, and we adopted this beautiful, amazing little two-year-old girl, and for five years, there's, there's been things that we didn't see coming. There's been some, some, some trauma from her, her birth parents that we didn't understand all the effects of in her, in her mind, in her heart, within our family, in our relationships. There's so many things at play. And if I'm very honest with my church, we have been begging God, heal the brokenness that is from her birth parents. Heal and intervene and do what only you can do. And we've seen him do some things, but we have not seen God answer every single prayer in five years. And it's been hard. There's been tons of tears and conversations, and things where we're saying, God, we know you can. Will you? Will you do this? And I want to share with you, if you're waiting, because I know I've been waiting for five years. My wife and I, my family and I, we've been doing this for five years. Some of you are here today, you've been waiting on answered prayers for 15, 25 years, saying, God, I know you can, but will you? And I want to give you something that we are learning. We haven't learned it yet. It's a process. We're learning right now, but I think it should encourage you who are waiting right here. Here it is, intimacy with Jesus while you're waiting is better than immediately getting what you want. That is a very hard sentence. We can clap, we can say amen, we can take notes. That right there is hard stuff, Hope Church. Because in the waiting, you're saying, how long am I waiting? But what we're learning is Jesus may want to do some stuff in us. Jesus may want to do some stuff in you that he wouldn't be able to do if he just gave you everything you wanted right when you asked for it. But as you wait in that waiting, you are pursuing him and asking him. I mean, I'm serious. My, my wife is in here. I've never seen us as, as a couple and individually just pursue Jesus more for some of these things that we're asking for. And the intimacy with Jesus is actually better than if we just got exactly what we wanted when we wanted it. There's a conforming that's happening inside of us and inside of you. So if you're waiting today, continue to wait, knowing he can, not knowing if he will, but the intimacy you are encountering with Jesus is better than him just giving you what you want. So Jesus, back to the story, he came to Jesus, or he, he, he asked him this ridiculous request, and that leads us to what we are calling the miraculous moment. The miraculous moment, verse 41 and 42, moved with pity. That's a beautiful phrase in the Greek. We'll talk about that. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made 
clean. This Greek phrase, moved with pity. It's a beautiful word that literally means from the guts. Like Jesus is so from, from his bones, moved with pity on this desperate man's disease. Imagine all the other people around, and they couldn't believe it. The leper came near to Jesus, and they all shrink back, but Jesus comes near. We understand this kind of walking through what we just walked through with COVID, but historians tell us that a leper had to be six feet away from everybody around them. We would never understand that before a few years ago. Now we understand that, right? There's a leper. Everyone get away. Jesus breaks that, comes near, and, and get this. It says he touched him. This is so beautiful. Jesus didn't have to touch this guy. Jesus could have said, I am God, you are healed. End of story. But Jesus takes this very contagious skin disease, and instead of just speaking a word over him, I imagine him leaning down and putting his hand on this leprous man's skin and saying, I will. Jesus goes all the way into the brokenness. Notice what didn't happen. Jesus didn't, right before he healed him, start asking questions about his faithfulness, right? I mean, imagine Jesus goes to heal him and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you been to synagogue in the last few weeks? But before I heal you, have you been reading your Jewish Torah? I want to make sure you're spending time with God. Jesus enters in right in the brokenness and puts his hand on this leprous man's skin. When everybody else can't believe what's happening, he says, I will. I think some people are in the room today. Some people are online today. And it got, took everything to get you even in the room today because you feel as broken and dirty and shameful as this leper did. I want you to see not what the religious people were doing around him, which was coming way far away from this man. I want you to see the Savior of the world who came near to the broken to heal, to bring restoration, to bring Recovery. Jesus heals this man, the worst of the worst in society. Jesus comes close. I don't know how you're feeling today. You may be feeling like a leper who's not worthy of anybody's time. You're worthy of Jesus' time today. He wants to step in and touch you today. He wants to fill your life today. He wants to do something for you, even though you may think nobody else in the world would ever do anything for you. That's what Jesus shows us in this story. And then finally, he gives this desperate man a clear command. Verses 43 and 44. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. It's interesting. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing. What Moses commanded is a proof for them. We won't spend much time on that Moses part, but it's just another one of those kind of God flexes that Jesus has. This is that nobody from Nazareth, remember, the nobody that everyone thought was just a carpenter's son. And here he is quoting Leviticus 14 and showing him what needed to happen for him to be cleansed. He is telling of the law, by the way, the law that he wrote and gave. And amongst all those people, he's telling them, I know the law, I wrote the law. Go do what Moses told you to do in, in Leviticus 14. But have you ever thought about if you've ever read the Bible and seen when Jesus tells people, because he does it all over the Gospels, he heals somebody and then says, hey, hey, make sure you don't tell anybody. Like, that's, that's weird, right? Like, why wouldn't you, Jesus, want them to tell everybody? Like, get a megaphone, go to the radio station, put it on TikTok, Jesus healed me and he can heal you too. Why wouldn't you want people to know 
Jesus, and here's why I think it is. Jesus didn't want to be known for what he could do for people. Jesus just wanted to be known for who he was. He didn't want people focusing on, on his miracles. He wanted people to see overall his mission as the son of God. People were coming all around. It even says in the last part of our, our, our verse, in, in verse 45, that after he told everyone, like he wasn't supposed to, all these people from every quarter, it's every neighborhood, every community, all started coming to him. Even though Jesus was out in the sticks, they found Jesus because they wanted to get something from him. So Jesus is telling him, listen, I don't want you to just spread my fame so more people could come and get my power. I want people to know me and want me for my presence with them not my power for them. Jesus was not looking for customers or clients or consumers. All throughout the gospels, we see Jesus looking for and making disciples. And that's still what he's about. There are people, maybe in this church, definitely in churches all over the country, who come in here week in and week out thinking, okay, Jesus, what do you got for me this week? I ain't gonna pick me up. What, what are you going to do for me this week, Jesus, instead of, okay, Jesus, I'm here, and I just want to be with you. Okay, God, I'm reading my Bible. You said to read my Bible. You better give me something good for my work day. Now, Jesus, I, I'm opening your word, and, and I just want you to speak to me. I just want to be with you. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, thousands of people are following him. Read the Gospels. We, we read in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is preaching to thousands of people. Later on, there's, there's a, a scene where a bunch of people, 5,000 men, are, are hungry. And so Jesus tells his disciples, you've heard it, feeding of the 5,000. Well, if you read the end of that passage, it says 5,000 men. That means their wives and children were present. We're talking 25,000, 30,000 people. So those people should be all over Jesus' life all the time, right? Wrong. We see a glimpse of that when Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 1 after he's died for the sin of the world on the cross, rose again. You would think Acts chapter 1 with all these thousands of people following Jesus because of all that he's done, Acts chapter 1 should open up with like a stadium full of people saying, ah, Jesus, that's our guy. He's our savior. 120 disciples hidden away in an upper room. Less people showed up to hear the Son of God resurrected from the dead speak life into them than are hearing me in this room right now. Why? Because all the fans and all the people were about what he could do for them, not for who he was. And so Jesus is telling him, don't just go tell everyone about my miracles because I'll just get more fans and more people that just want stuff from me. Begs the question for us, as you approach Jesus, what's your heart's posture? Are you here today? Are you in the church scene? Are you a part of our church family because you want to get stuff from Jesus? Or are you here today because you understand you're desperate and you're saying, God, I just want to be with you. And here's the best part. As you are, as you are with him, as you spend time with him, he gives you what he has because I'm his son and you're his daughter. And he gives you those things out of love. But I don't go to him to get those things. I get those things out of relationship. You better believe the disciples got all the beautiful gifts and power and things from Jesus. But that's not why they were there. They were there to be with Jesus. And he gave them the things out of the relationship, not out of obligation.
this desperate man comes with this ridiculous request. Jesus heals him in this miraculous moment. And he gives him a clear command. And here's how I want to kind of end our time together today. Because I think we could hear that and maybe take some notes and say, oh, it's great. I learned a couple things. But if we're not careful, specifically if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can miss out on something very significant. And some of you may have already seen it. That the story of the desperate leper is actually your and my story as a follower of Jesus. This desperate disease, I intentionally use that phrase, this desperate disease is not just leprosy. For this man, it was leprosy. But for every other person on the planet, it's this, sin. And I know as soon as that word goes on the screen, I mean, come on, man, it's 2022. What are you going to say? Sin is something that still plagues our lives and it has since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what you think about sin today, but we see its effects over all of our lives every single day. I don't know how you feel personally about your life about sin, but I want to give you a statement that is true about you and I. We are not sinners because we sin. It's not just about what you do, Hope Church. We sin because we're sinners. See, that sounds like the same thing. No, something's about what you do, and the other one's about who you are. And apart from Christ, you and I are sinners. We are plagued with sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a great verse of the Bible if you don't have it memorized. It says, for all have fallen short, every single person on the planet, fallen short of the glory of God, the standard of God. And if we're honest today, the wrath of God, apart from Christ, is on me and on you. We should really care about that. Like this desperate leper, I got nothing else to do. I'm going to Jesus. Sin is a big deal. And it's something that even in church, we've kind of gone, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we're sinners. We sin. We mess up. And we've minimized sin to something that's a, a platitude or a phrase that we just mentioned. Listen, sin is a major deal. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. a man that's shaped my life in a lot of ways from afar, a man we quote here a lot at Hope Church, he has just a powerful, a little bit longer quote. This is what John Piper said about sin. What is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. That should do something to us, Hope Church. We should feel desperate like the leper because apart from Christ stepping in and doing something, we are sunk. And the wrath of God is on our lives. Listen, I'm so glad if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but I can't be up here with integrity and not tell you the truth. If you don't know Jesus, the wrath of God is on you because of your sin. And there's not a better picture of sin in the Bible than the disease of leprosy. Let's go back to, to the process of leprosy as we close. Leprosy starts small. At first, it doesn't look like that big a deal, but small, small, Skin things start popping up on your body. 
little sores start coming out of nowhere. And at first it looks really small, and it's the same with sin. Sin starts small. We've seen this in our text over the last few weeks if you've been here. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to commit adultery today and ruin my family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click this one website and, and it's just going to make me a full-blown addict. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to go murder somebody today. Not a lot of people wake up and go from zero to 100. It starts with a small inconsistency of character. With a small compromise here and a click of the website there and a flirtation relationship there. Just like leprosy, it begins to spread. Leprosy goes and gets bigger and greater and eventually leads to a numbing of the body. In the same way, sin numbs your sensitivity. Talk to people all the time who are really, really deep in sin. And they thought, they say, I thought I would never be where I am today. I thought there's no way I could ever do the things I'm doing today. It's because sin, over the course of time, starts to numb your sensitivity to itself. You wind up in places you never thought you could be. Just like the leper, numb to wild animals chewing on your body parts just like the leper who's ostracized and completely destroyed his life, sin destroys your life. And there are people that look at this and say, that's a little exaggerated, Scott. Think about the families and the communities and the countries and the people in your life that have completely destroyed because of the brokenness that they find themselves in. Sin starts small, numbs your sensitivity, destroys your life. This is why the old Puritan John Owen said something that I put on my, the front of my journal every single time. This is a big deal for me because I know this is not just true of you. This is true of me and every person on the planet. John Owen said this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I put that in the front of my journal and said, remember that, Scott Worthington. You're not immune to this. So you better fight it and make war against the sin in your life. Come to Jesus like this leper. Praise God because that's the good news I have today. I know that was all a bunch of dark stuff. The good news of the gospel in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is that God, what a beautiful God on Father's Day, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Notice it doesn't say after you've cleaned your act up and gotten your stuff together. You and I, Spiritual lepers on our knees, broken, shameful, gross. That's when he died for us. He dies for you, not when you've made yourself some future version of you that you think is worthy of salvation. Spoiler alert, you will never get there. And there are religious people all over the world trying with everything they have to get there. While you were a sinner, a spiritual leper, Christ, died for you. Don't miss this beautiful relation to the gospel. Just like the leper, you were isolated, cut off from a relationship with God. And just like the leper who would wrap his body in those filthy rags to try to cover up his grossness, you and I try to wrap our lives up with a bunch of good deeds and spiritual platitudes, and we try to wrap our lives up to try to not look so gross, which, by the way, the book of Isaiah said it's like filthy rags when we do that. That's just like Jesus to the leper. Everyone else shrinks away, and God comes near. 
puts his hand on you today and says, I will make you clean. And some of you today will walk out of here with rags still wrapped all over you. And God is saying, take off the rags. I can heal this instantly. If you just come to me, humble, like this leper. This leper wasn't making any demands. This leper wasn't saying what he wanted from God. He was just saying, if you will, you can heal me. I'm telling you about the authority of the scripture today, Hope Church. He will heal you eternally today. If you are not a follower of Jesus, and today you hear the story of the leper and say, that's me right now. I've been wrapping my body and my life with all this stuff, and it's not working, and I still feel broken, and I still feel shame. Jesus comes in right now, and it's not a matter of if. It is when he heals you because he will, as a follower of Jesus, make you today. He can do that for you. Just a moment, we're going to have pastors up here and every week. We just want to open up an opportunity. If you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, come. Come to Jesus who can heal you and make you clean today spiritually. Give you eternal life. Will you have all your answers, all your questions answered? No, this leper didn't. You better believe when he got up and he had no leprosy, he had a lot of questions about his life. And you will too, but... You'll be clean. You'll be made right with God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, maybe out of this story, you just realized there's just some things that you've lost hope in. And that part of the message really resonated with you, man. I've lost hope in some of these things. And and in your seat or at this altar, you just want to bring some requests back to God that you've just kind of given up on. I guess God's not in this. Maybe today you just want to, at this altar or in your seat, say, God, I'm here with what seems like a ridiculous request. And I'm bringing it to you because you're the only one that can do anything about it. And you would just humble yourself before a mighty God and just cry out to him. Even how, even though it may sound ridiculous. Maybe today you were struck by this idea that all these people came to, to Jesus for what he could give them not just to be with him. Maybe today you would humble yourself and say, that's me, God. I've looked at you for what you can do for me, not just for who you are, and I just want to repent. From this day forward, Lord, would you help me by your grace see you the right way, whatever it may be. We're going to sing a song of surrender. I give up. You want to see a, a song of the leper today? I give up. I lay down, I let go, I'm yours now. Maybe today you would just sing this afresh, just a full surrender to whatever it is that you're holding on to so tightly. So Jesus, thank you for what you do. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for salvation. I pray right now, God, for the person who doesn't know you. Would you go and get them, Lord? Draw them to yourself. You alone have the power to save, and I pray you do it today. For followers of Jesus all over the room that just know they need to, to respond in repentance to you. Respond in an act of surrender. I pray that that would happen all over the room today for your glory. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for verse-by-verse verse teaching where you just teach us in our own lives what we need to know in our relationship with you. We love you. We praise you. In this time, would you speak? Would you move as people respond to you?